Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program this Saturday. I'm Tadeesh Hari Prashad bringing you Newsbreak Talk where we give your views a voice. Looking forward to talking to you about some serious issues that uh, has got you talking a lot this week. And I think one of the major ones has been uh, the state capture uh, inquiry by um, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. So the chairperson of the Commission on State Capture has expressed his dismay and shock at the level of corruption around personal protective equipment while the country is still investigating allegations into state capture. He was speaking during the testimony of former ANC MP Vincent Smith, who the Commission heard that he got money from Bosasa for his daughter's university fees disguised as a settlement for a car accident. Smith also secured a hired car for his daughter from Bosasa but failed to disclose the benefit to Parliament as required by the Joint Ethics Committee. Debo Mokobo reports. It was a busy week at the Commission on State Capture with at least two ANC big weeks, former Minister Nomvula Mukonyani and former MP Vincent Smith appearing before Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo and his team. Last year, Busasa COO Angelo Agrizi testified that the two were on his company's payroll. He said Mukonyane received a monthly 50,000 rand bribe to secure lucrative contracts for Busasa, while Smith got a 100,000 rand to influence other committees in parliament in favor of the politically connected company. Smith also received money from the company for his daughter's university fees abroad. But in his testimony, he said it was a loan from Agrizi, not from Busasa. Why would you go and borrow money from a company that is reported to have been involved in corruption and even referred to a law enforcement agency? Just to clarify, Chair, I did not borrow any money from any company. The loan agreement was between me and Angelo Agrizzi. And there are there is correspondence to that effect by way of an SMS. My loan agreement was with Angelo Agrizzi. There was some sort of a cordial agreement with me and Angelo. The final point I want to make on that one, Chair, is that nowhere in the records of the deposit, for want of a better word, is there any reference to Bosas. It was not Bosas. But last year, this is what Agrizi said. Mr. Smith made statements and put out a press release that, in fact, he had a personal loan with myself, which is totally incorrect. There was no such thing. He did approach me for a loan, and what he offered to do was to sell me his shares in a hospital at Waterfall Estate, which I refused. I said that it would, number one, contravene every single BE rule in the book, and number two, it would be very obvious if it came directly to me. I did not give Mr. Smith any loans. I don't know him, and I would never have loaned him money. An undergrueling cross-examination from evidence leader Viwen Oche, Smith considered the money came from Bosasa. There's an item there that says general credit, domestic three car accident settlement. You see that? I do see that, sir. There is nothing about Mr. Agrizi here. The only thing is the amount of 395076. That's correct, sir. Now, how did you link this with Mr. Agrizi? Sir, I indicated earlier on that with every loan, I had given the information to Mr. Agrizi, the university's bill. And I knew that 300,000 rand per my arrangement with Mr. Agrizi. But you agree with me, this on your statement hides that the money is from Agrizi or from Busasa. I agree, Chairperson. And as someone entrusted with leading different portfolio committees in Parliament, Having to tell the commission that he didn't disclose to parliament all the freebies he got from Busasa seemed a bitter pill to swallow. Busasa hired a vehicle that was used by your daughter, right? 
You don't dispute that, Mr. No, I don't dispute that, Chair. And uh, without wasting time, you will not dispute that you didn't dis disclose that to Parliament, that you got a benefit from Busasa in the form of a vehicle hired for a daughter. No, I didn't, I didn't declare it, Chair, but just to put context, and, yes. and, and my daughter came home from school. I had approached a friend, listen, give me a little run around, and I'd approached Gavin Watson for it. And yes, to answer his question, I did not declare that I had received this benefit in kind. And the total disregard of parliamentary rules by people who took an oath to protect the law of the Republic and the widespread corruption in the procurement of PPEs left Justice Raymond Zondo speechless. My concern is that uh, it would appear that uh, a lot of people in the country don't really care about who has what powers when it comes to wrongdoing. I mean, if you think about the fact that this commission has been sitting since 2018, hearing evidence of wrongdoing and corruption and so on and so on, you would not think that the kind of corruption that we are told about in regard to PPE would be happening. But it, it's like people say, nothing will happen. We can just continue as, as, as normal, you know. And that may well be because they look around and say, what has happened to who? The Commission on State Capture will resume on Monday with ESCOM-related evidence on the suspension of various executives. I am Tebumokobo in Johannesburg. Mm, lots to digest there. And of course, I think the earlier one that got you quite um, vocal was... Um, you know, various, various issues of um, a lack of understanding and a lack of um, awareness with regard to what people who've appeared before the uh, commission um, has been, you know, putting forward in terms of their testimony. So I'd love to know your thoughts on that. There you go, the latest one that came through the testimony of former ANC MP Vincent Smith, who uh, the commission heard that he got money from Busasa for his daughter's university fees. Okay, to another um, very emotional time, residents in El Dorado Park have used a final opportunity to remember teenager Nathaniel Julis in a musical tribute held in El Dorado Park, south of Johannesburg. Julis will be laid to rest um, today, and he was shot and killed allegedly by police last Wednesday. The 16-year-old's killing sparked unrest in the community with residents calling for justice for Julius who had Down syndrome. The gathering came on the day that a third suspect appeared in the Protea Magistrates Court in connection with Julius' murder. He joins two other Eldorado Park police officers that have been arrested and charged. The trio is due to appear again next Thursday. Zoleka Kadashe reports. I look to my right again and I see this other patient's laying beard on my right side and they're laying together and they are just laying there. But I can't see a sign of my boy. And the doctor came and the doctor says to us, um, who's the mother? I said, I'm the mother. I was listening to him. But when he says now, um, when they brought him in, he was already passed on. I couldn't take it. I was blamed out. Just to hear the sound that it was passed on already. I couldn't believe it. Nathaniel, 16-year-old Down syndrome.
he loves the song Feliz la vida oh, And he would dance for it And I would sing with him And it's like, you know, we both going that way And I, we were laughing a little But giggling me and him And he like, and then he will come back to the song again and he will start singing and then he will laugh again. That's how he is. He always giggling some things, you know. Long flat number five. I want to say thank you to Nathaniel for inviting me back to my home soil. While walking the streets, I was wondering, can something good come out of Yaldos? When I think about Nathaniel, his voice is speaking louder than any celebrity I know. He has spoken to the president right up to the prison wards. He has spoken to people in Yaldos, right down to Cape Town, if not across the globe. I am wondering, can something good come out of Yaldos? Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light and not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant? Who am I to be gorgeous? Who am I to be talented? Who am I to be fabulous? Your playing small tonight does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about you shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Delorado Park, I want to declare based on the memory of Nathaniel, we are all meant to shine. It's not just in some of us. If you think about Nathaniel and his disabilities, he is speaking louder than the able people standing around us. It's not in some of us, but it's in every one of us. And as you make your light to shine, you give permission for other people's light to shine. Shine, Eldorado Park. Shine. Yeah, that was a musical tribute there to Nathaniel Julius, who's being laid to rest today. It's a very sad time, and I think it's definitely something that has got everybody um, pretty emotional about it. I think the constant narrative, and you expressed this last week when we spoke about it in depth, you said those that are supposed to serve and protect uh, the vulnerable in society, it's sad when there's allegations that they are the ones who are um, responsible for their lack of safety their demise in this case, allegedly. So uh, definitely something that has really got um, a lot of emotions flaring up. So we will be keeping tabs on that procession, uh, that funeral procession, and we'll bring you the latest as it does become available to us. 
Um, and I'm going to remind you then that in a short while we're going to be talking, we're going to be opening up the conversation on um, another worrying trend that we have seen uh, as of late. I think north of Durban we have reported on two cases where underage girls were allegedly groomed for sex. Um, in one instance, a girl was uh, allegedly kidnapped. In another, she was had an, uh, she was being sexually violated on an ongoing basis, um, both times to people known to the family and known to the girls. So we are going to be talking about that. We'll have a bit of an in-depth discussion with regard to it. So I'd love you to get your thoughts and your opinions ready for that, and we'll take it forward on this trend on this allegation and this reality that there are sexual predators who prey on underage girls, the term that um, has come to light is sexual grooming, um, you know, identifying young girls and then uh, investing time, money, whatever it is, promising them whatever you wish in the exchange for uh, sexual favors at the end. And this is also um, a, a separate dynamic because it also indicates that, that there's an imbalance of power where you have somebody older than you, senior to you, somebody that you possibly respect. Um, how then do you, are young people able to stand up to them and tell them no is no? So this is another frightening aspect to it. We're going to be talking about that in a short while. Around 12.30, we'll take that conversation forward. But to this one now, where the rotation system currently operating at schools has placed more pressure on teachers and schools and are battling to cope. Since schools reopened last month, learners have been divided into groups that attend school on different days. The measures have been introduced to comply with COVID-19 protocols. Thousands of unions have raised concerns that teacher shortages are further hampering learning. Angela Bolowana reports. The Department of Education in Gauteng says it has given approval for over 4,500 teachers to work from home due to comorbidities. The department says schools have been getting standing teachers from their database and so far that process has been smooth. Spokesperson Steve Mabona says the stay-at-home teachers have been roped in to record lessons from home and to mark schoolwork. We have enough, uh, we must say, of uh, educators. So, you know, when there's a need, we go into the database and make sure that we get a necessary profile as per what is required at a school. And then that process will go at the school level. They will conduct necessary, you know, recruitment processes and uh, a replacement uh, will then be appointed. But the Gauteng Education Department is an exception. Teacher unions have raised alarm that schools around the country are struggling. No temporary teachers have been appointed to replace those with comorbidities and the rotation system currently underway requires more teachers. Teacher Union Natu says the situation is so bad that principals are forcing sick teachers to return to school. Union President Alan Thompson says the rotation system will also result in teachers not covering everything in the syllabus. It's even worse because the department promised to employ substitute educators, but there are no substitute educators that are coming to school that have been employed. Another concern that we are having as the National Teachers Union is that we have seen teachers who are having very serious comorbidities being compelled by their principals of schools. Some have already started to report for duty, but we are worried that those people are likely to die in the working environment. This week, the Minister of Basic Education, Angie Mutsaha, announced that she had approached National Treasury for more money to pay for the 22,000 substitute teachers required nationwide. Houting Education says they're paying these teachers 280,000 rent a year. 
Teacher Union Laptosa's president, Basil Manuel, says they raised this matter in May and he doesn't understand why the National Department didn't approach Treasury sooner. So we are very concerned about the minister's statement. What makes one particularly unhappy is that the department has had three months to do this. The agreement was signed on the 30th of May and we are now in September. Three months later, after promising that these people would be appointed, now they are saying they are going to be looking for money. What have they been doing for three months? At the same time, we see that schools are really battling. The teacher shortages at schools brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic are dire. Unions say that the schools are filling the gap by making available teachers teach subjects that they're not familiar with. They say some learners are left without teachers, including those in metric that will be writing their final exams soon. That report there by Angela Bolowana, who's been talking to us about the situation. So, yeah, you can also talk to us about that. Give your views a voice. Always looking forward to hearing from you. But let's start the conversation now. And um, we have a lot to um, to bring forward to you um, before we take your messages and your voice notes. So when we come back, we talk to you about the serious issue where young girls are becoming prey to sexual predators. In these tough times, we at SPA are still here for you, which is why we've been working really hard to make sure that you pay low prices and you get great deals like Pampers Active Diapers, Jumbo Pack, Assorted, $199.99, Omo Auto Washing Powder, 3kg, $67.99, and Twin Saver Luxury 2-ply White, 18s, only $89.99. Spa, we're here for you. Okay, local news now. The Durban environmentalists are concerned about the potential health risks from a spill at a sewage plant into Cuttings Beach, south of Durban. It's alleged that the effluent uh, has been flowing into the beach since last Sunday. South Durban Community Environmental Alliance's Desmond Dessar says the effluent contains a high concentration of chemicals from industries in in the area. According to the Itaqueni Municipality's Water and Sanitation Department, this is as a result of construction that is currently underway. Reports. Thousands of litres of sewage, garbage and effluent are currently floating off Cutting Beach, south of Durban. The spill has left environmentalists concerned as residents battle to breathe. According to the environmental activist Desmond Desa, wastewater flowing into the ocean is a mixture of sewage and hazardous chemicals. Desa says the exposure to the strong smell can pose health risks for residents. The council has put up put out a notice that it hasn't reached the whole community. When we went closer to take water samples, the water clearly is more than just sewage. It includes chemicals, oil, effluent from the effluent plant at Sutton Works. And because the pipes are not connected, that is just running down the canal and it and impact into the sea. This will move with the wind direction and the, and the waves It will move on to Brighton Beach and other parts of of the beaches and in South Durban. What we are concerned about is that the chemicals have a high toxicity that impacts on people's health and well-being. Desa says he's also concerned about the impacts on marine life. We are really concerned about the ecosystem. We are concerned about the marine life. All the, the, the nurseries, the small fish will die. But more importantly, a lot of our people come to the ocean where they have religious uh, issues here. 
a lot of people from different groups come here and I'm concerned about them more than ever because they put their feet in there and their feet gets caught with the chemical and the sewage, they actually can lose their limbs. Meanwhile, speaking on behalf of the Water and Sanitation Department in the Etegwini municipality, Dave Wilson says the spill is as a result of construction currently underway. Wilson says they are hoping to complete working on the pipes soon. We're currently tying in a large outfall sewer which runs along the bank of the Unlost Canal. This will be completed hopefully today. And in the interim, unfortunately, we've had to overflow into some of the some of the effluents had to overflow into the into the unlost canal. As soon as the time is completed, that will stop. It shouldn't be much longer than maybe a day. Meanwhile, the municipality has erected warning signs notifying the public about the health hazards at the beach. Currently, swimming is prohibited. I'm Nunculegotlope in Durban. So there we go. We've brought you up to date with some of the hot stories around. We are trying to check in with police to find out the latest on a case that we've been covering. Uh, the case of a um, 13-year-old girl from Kanubia who was reported missing and then later found alongside her 34-year-old man. We understand that the family has opened a case in that regard and we are going to find out the latest with regard uh, to that situation. But Here's this exclusive that we've had. Um, one of the, um, you know, one of the family members of um, the girl who was allegedly raped, a 15-year-old girl who was allegedly raped by a 44-year-old man. Um, and we managed to make contact with the family member to find out how challenging the time has been. This relates to a KwaZulu um, Natal um teacher who has appeared before the Verily Magistrate's Court um, with regard to this allegation of rape of a 15-year-old girl. We understand that he did appear and was released on uh, bail. The 44-year-old man has been arrested for statutory rape. Um, but subsequently managed to get bail. We spoke to a family member to find out their concern in this regard. I just cannot believe that he has done that. Being a teacher and whom someone calls sir, he's always supposed to be someone that you hold in respect of, not someone that would do that to you in that manner. How are you coping with what's happened? Well, we are not coping. We are having counselling. How does this make you feel? I have no faith in, in anyone now. No faith. What justice do you want? That he is taken away from children of that age and he gets punished for whatever has happened. So there you go. The trauma that it does have on a family, um, and this is the family of a 15-year-old who... Um, you know, allegedly was victim to um, to this man, a 44-year-old man who was arrested and then released on bail. We are going to be talking to police. We want to find out about another case. And this case was the one where a case of rape and kidnapping has been opened after a 13-year-old girl, she was from Kanubia, was reported missing along with her neighbor, um, the child and a 34-year-old man were traced in Richards Bay by the SA uh, Police Service and 
um, this was another incident of concern where the family is concerned about what might have happened. So this is the situation here on the table. Like I said, we are trying to get a hold of police to find out the latest. We did understand that there were some developments and they're just trying to finalise that and bring us the latest. So we are going to be um, discussing this issue in great detail. Now to join me on the line with regard to it is Trial Line Kozula Natal Acting Director Adeshni Naika. Good afternoon to you, Adeshni. Thanks for your time. Good afternoon, Tadesh. Thank you for having me. And we appreciate you making the time to talk to us about this very serious issue. Um, definitely something that, um, you know, is, is not something that one should be having on the table, I think. But it's a reality, isn't it? So your Thank reaction, you. Adeshni, we are looking here at two cases where underage girls have allegedly been sexually groomed um, by adults. And we understand adults that they knew and seemingly trusted. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked. I would say shocked. I know a lot of people um, think that uh, we as social workers become immune to these incidents, but every case makes us feel sometimes so inadequate and, I have to say, definitely disgusted. I think um, not just us as Childline, but society in general questions, what are we doing wrong? How could we have stopped this? What can be done differently? I think what makes it even more sad is that the very people that we're trusting our children with, teachers and adults, are actually violating them. School was always thought to be a safe place. Yes, we would worry when our kids were standing outside for their transport and the transport was going to be a few minutes late. But many of us parents who drop our kids off at school would actually sigh in relief knowing that our kids are going to be safe for half the day at least. But sadly, that is no longer the situation. I mean, it's it's shocking to say the least. Um, your thoughts on the age of these girls now, because they're quite young, not even finished school. On one hand, you've got a 15-year-old. On the other, you have a 13-year-old. Um, I mean, I don't even need to ask you then, what is the mental maturity? And even if you look at somebody at 13, the physical maturity of a 13-year-old girl like this to be, to fall victim to such kinds of behavior? You know, if you look at the ages of both of them, physically and mentally, they are still kids. You know, no matter how you look at it, we would, we would, some, some people would say a 15-year-old can sometimes pass as an adult, but really, they still are children. Mentally, they are totally not equipped to deal with something like this. They don't even know how to handle it, and that is why they become such easy targets. But help me understand the psyche, and I know we discussed this uh, with one of the um, you know psychologists we spoke to on, on, on uh, the issue of predators. Why, you know, help us just make some sense of why a young girl, vulnerable, innocent, because like you said, they still are considered children, um, would be viewed in this light by a sexual predator to you know, pursue this kind of relationship with? It's, it's often, often the case is um, the predator actually um, you know, takes advantage of the child's weakness. And in most cases, children that fall prey to these kind of things are actually ones that suffer with low self-esteem and they come from difficult uh, family, uh, whole, uh, family, uh, in, uh, family environment. 
that makes things all the more easier to, to, to take advantage of. I mean, you're going through all of these changes. Your body's changing. Your hormones are changing. You're dealing with peer pressure. And your, your self-esteem is so low. But here's this adult now who you actually probably respect and trust as well is now making you feel so special. Um, any child is going to give in to that. Any child with a low self-esteem is going to give in to that. The other point on that would be, what is the possibility that this particular child um, just doesn't know how to say no? Because when you look at, and I think in, if we look at these uh, these cases, and please be advised the allegations at this stage, but when you look at these cases, um, you know, you're looking at somebody who's a school teacher, you're looking at somebody who's your neighbor, um, that, you know, the, these are the suspects that are, that currently are on the table. Um, surely young girls view these people in a senior sort of light and therefore they would not know how to disobey them. Definitely. But you also got to remember that these perpetrators choose their victims very, very carefully. And they will actually identify children that are more likely not to tell an adult or will keep a secret. So the predator doesn't just, you know, choose randomly. Remember that they, in more, in most cases, they are known to the children. So they know the child's psyche, they know the child's personality, and they know exactly what the boundaries are. And they know that that particular child will be afraid to tell on him or her. I mean, I was going to ask you about how common the issue is, but when you talk about it like that, um, I have to bring in the parents at this point. Um, because one gets the sense that sometimes sexual predators are known to the parents. They may not know specifically that their child is being you know, groomed in this way or being violated in this way. But by virtue of the fact that parents you know, seemingly know um, the perpetrator, what is the link to conscientize the parents? Is it the child to say, hey, listen, um, this uncle has been doing this? Uh, what is the link to make parents aware of it? I think, I think parents need to be more active. Um, you need to become aware of your child's life. You need to know who your child is friends with, um, who your, where your child is going, where your child is at any given time, no matter how old your child is. You have to know that. If, if you have made if you have made the dis- decision to allow your child on online access, you need to be responsible enough to maintain uh, to monitor that child's activity, um, whether it's it's internet usage or even WhatsApp. Parents need to to become their children's friends, not in the sense where they are peers, but they need to know what their child is doing. They need to enjoy the same things that their child is doing, and this enables the parents to easily identify any change in in the in the child's behavior um whatsapp is is a cha- uh, children as, as young as eight or nine years old have whatsapp and it, as a parent if you think that that is fine i still believe that you should be able to monitor that and you need to look out for changes in your in your child's behavior unexplained yeah things. and i wanted to ask about that adeshni what are these changes that one could look into um when a child is being 
Okay, but before you answer that, I want to ask this though, and 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 this could be a bit of a dicey question. I don't really know how to phrase it, so please help me understand mm-hmm. how to go about uh, raising a point like this. Um, at what point? I mean, you mentioned at the beginning there that you know generally you know it would be. Um, teenagers with low self-esteem, teenagers possibly who don't have an outlet, who don't get the kind of care and attention they deserve. Mm-hmm. So when it's coming from somebody else like this, um, they would be, to an extent, comforted by it. So that's not yeah. a negative emotion. So mm-hmm. how then do they display this level of, um, I think, comfort in being with the person who's promising them everything, but only to, you know, violate them at mm-hmm. the end. How should one look at that comfort level? Okay, if, you, if, you, if you're speaking of how would the child, uh, the behavior change, if the child is actually comfortable in that, and what should the parent look out for, it's also a change in behavior because you will find a newfound um, independence, a newfound kind of, you know, you'll see child's demeanor actually changing if the child is actually comfortable there. And um, as a parent, you'll know these slight changes. In teenage girls, you'll find that they preen a little bit more. Because remember now that they are trusting this adult. So they're not necessarily going to behave negatively. The impact is not going to be negative because it's a sense of comfort for them. So again, it's only the parents that can actually notice these kind of changes. And and I always maintain, um, as a parent, trust your instincts. If you're paying careful attention and you see that something is a must, follow your gut feeling. If you feel that something is a must, then probably it is. The other point um, Adesh need to raise is time. Uh, time unaccounted for, and I know we've we've dealt on this particular program a lot about um, the socio-economic situations of many families, where both mum and dad have to work, and they have to work long hours, and therefore there isn't really at points uh, people at home to monitor children. Um, at what point should a parent be concerned when their child is spending so much of time? out of the parent's eye, out of the guardian's eye, because this is when the parent doesn't have an oversight role. I think a parent always has to worry, no matter, no matter, no matter what the age and who the child is um, spending time with. And that is why it's so important for, for the parent to know where the child is and with whom the child is. And I know sometimes it's often difficult because we get these kids would actually, you know, say that they're going to, for example, the library and be at the friend's house. But, but again, parents need to be proactive. And then we also get community members um, in informal settlements and communities. We often always have the neighbors look out for the child and so on. But the thing is, neighbors also need to speak up if they feel something is not right. And you know, a lot of people um, have the fear of retribution. But one has to realize that this child's parents actually have to go out and work. Unfortunately, and we can't fault them for that. But we can at at least do our part as community members to keep an eye out and inform the parent if something is amiss. And parents need to do that as well, you know. There's often the go-go in the area or the auntie in the area that's home all day long speak to them and say, you know what, watch out for my child. This is the time she's coming. 
are home from school at this time she's expected. And if your child doesn't have a phone, you can always contact this particular member, community member to query about your child. Adeshni, could we draw a link between, you know, what we're discussing here, grooming of sexual uh, of girls, young girls for um, sexual violation um, with the blessed phenomenon? Now, that is something incredibly well documented um, in uh, specifically a lot of townships. You have health departments who are running out campaigns about it. You have politicians mm-hmm. who are talking about it. Um, health ministers have gone on record to talk and address it um, and, and, and to conscientize people about how young vulnerable girls are promised the world by men taken advantage of sexually, either left pregnant, either left with um, HIV AIDS and that has been a big conversation in that space. Could you draw a parallel between that blessed phenomenon and what we're discussing here? Because then the point is that this issue is not discussed a lot in localized communities that we're dealing with here. There's definitely a similarity. Um, um, I also have to say, say at this stage that um, there's always boys, boy victims as well. It's not always girls that are victims. And we tend to think that, you know, it's only the females that are victims, but we actually get males that are victims as well. And yes, I, I think that this, the, this kind of scenario is very, very similar to the Blesser scenario. Um, the difference may be that these kids are younger and, and the, what, what can I say, the, the gift is not as expensive or the money is paid is not ex- as expensive, but it's very, very similar. And um, the one difference is maybe that these children are a little bit more emotionally unstable and equipped to make the right decisions. And we were talking then about... Um Brushing it under the carpet, often when we've discussed issues of violation and abuse here, um, the knee-jerk reaction has been, don't talk about it, don't let anybody know, and let's just ignore it, it will go away, or let's just not create a scene about it. Um, and here you have two cases that have gone to court now, that have, that, that have got so much of media attention. Um, what is the risk that people want to shy away from that, that they wouldn't want to be exposed in this way and therefore they keep it under wraps? It's often um, a fear of stigmatization. And actually, um, very scaringly, is that often the perpetrator is needed. Um, in many cases, um, the, vi- uh, the violation is actually um, done by a stepfather, uh, the sole breadwinner. And these cases don't get re- reported simply because that the family is dependent on their perpetrator. So yes, we are talking about uh, this issue with Adeshni Naika, the Trial and Gwazulu Natal Acting Director. Uh, but I'm going to take a break from Adeshni now for a slight, and we're going to go to um, Captain Mobile Gwala, who's uh, going to be giving us a bit more of an update with regard to these cases. Captain Gwala, thanks for your time, for making the time to talk to us today. And thank you, and good afternoon to the listeners at home. Captain Gwala, I want to talk about the case in Kunubia. Of course, this relates to a 13-year-old girl who was reported missing alongside her 34-year-old neighbor. Um, We understand that the uh, family has opened a case of rape and kidnapping. What could you confirm? Yes, the charges of kidnapping and rape were opened on Wednesday uh, by the parents of the 
of the missing girl, the 13-year-old girl. And uh, it was uh, the docket was then transferred to Phoenix FCS unit for further investigation. And the matter is still under investigation and the arrest will be made soon. What can you talk to us then about the arrest? Um, why hasn't it been made yet if the case was opened on Wednesday? Yes, no arrest has been made, but the investigations are still ongoing. Uh, after a 13-year-old girl uh, was uh, kidnapped by a known suspect, uh, but investigations are still ongoing, and we are hoping a breakthrough will be made soon. With regard to the uh, previous case, this was the one in Phoenix where a 15-year-old girl um, was you know, found to be raped. Uh, we understand a 44-year-old man was arrested for statutory rape. Um, we understand he appeared in court. What's the latest there? Yes, uh, the suspect, the 44-year-old man, was arrested on Tuesday uh, for statutory rape of a 15-year-old girl. And the suspect appeared uh, in court this week and uh, he was granted bail, and uh, the matter was remanded to, the op- to October the 22nd of October, yeah, the 22nd of October. But you, he, he is out on bail. Could you, uh, are you aware as to what, uh, on what grounds he was granted bail? Mm, I, I don't have that information at hand. You know, while you're on the line, uh, Captain, there's often a, a, a call that comes through from many that um, suspects of sexual crimes like this should not be given bail and that the, sometimes the criminal justice system is too lenient on them. How do you respond? Sorry, can you please repeat? Oftentimes, when it comes to topics like this, the general sense from the community and the public is that uh, suspects of um, sexual crimes like this should not be given bail. And many say that the criminal justice system is therefore too lenient. How do you respond to that? Even though I cannot confirm much, I mean, comment uh, further on that one because uh, it depends to the court whether to grant the person bail or not. And in this case, uh, it was the court that granted him bail. And uh, we are also appealing to parents to make sure, even the, the guardians, to make sure that they do check up on their children, especially this one had a cell phone and the guardian find out that he, she had a cell phone that uh, she was using in order to communicate with the suspect. So we are also appealing to parents to make sure that they look after their children. They must make sure that they, they, they must uh, worry what they are doing at all times. Hmm. Captain Mobile thanks for your time for confirming those cases and the status of those investigations, and we'll check up with you soon. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. That was Captain Mobile there who was talking to us about those cases. We still have Adesh Ninaika from Trial and Gosvid and Natal on the line who's going to be talking to us. But I want to go to WhatsApp now, and Adesh, I think this will be interesting for us to listen to. Uh, Raj Sila Laneje South says, uh, it's so sad how his daughter must now feel that if she herself, oh, she's talking about Busasa actually, um, but I want to go to some issues of um, what we're actually discussing here. Um, and many are saying, like Rani from Stangerman has said, I said this and I said this, and I said this before. I firmly believe that children look up to seniors to protect them and not to harm them. So how can any child trust an adult without reservations? Um, 
Shamila Maharaj from Stanger says, It's so sad to hear every day our women are getting raped. So much crime. Our country is coming to a real downward fall. Mavis says, Gender-based violence regarding these teenagers is unacceptable because these um, children's lives are ruined by trusted adults known to them. These perpetrators must be severely punished. So that's the sentiments coming through there. Um, Adeshni, let's talk about, um, you know, we were talking about similarities about opening up the conversation about it. Um, what can you talk to me about the frequency of these cases? We've got two on the table now, but you deal with this on an ongoing basis. What is the level of frequency? How often do cases like this happen? Unfortunately, um, in the past two years or so, there has been an increase in such cases. Um, we've seen at least um, six to eight cases per year, and I think that this is way too many. Um, I'm talking about KZN only. Um, remember that many of these cases don't even make it to the media, so you know people don't know about it. Um, we have to question... Uh, though, whether it's always been happening, but we just never noticed, or it was never reported. Because this is not something that just happens, or, you know, it, 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 it's something that's, that's age-old. We've heard about it forever. We just never believed that it would happen in our communities. A lot of, um, you know, we understand young people around this age have are comfortable with their friends. Um, what do you know about this level of, of conversations that take place between peers about things like this? You know, and, and, and you must understand as well, uh, for, for a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old, um, I mean, I'm imagining here, and I don't know, I stand to be corrected, but they're not so aware as to when somebody is making an incorrect remark or making a pass, you know, they, they would have a sense of it. But, you know, how do they confirm? So what I'm saying is this is also a new um, sort of communication or a new sort of language that is being used on them, you know, in initial stages. Um, are they able to communicate it to friends? And then the role then that friends can play to bring it to the attention of somebody senior? Unfortunately, I really don't think that children are aware of what's happening. You know, um, that, is, that is what grooming is about. Um, it's so um, subtle that the child really doesn't know what's happening. They just believe that they're a little more special than the other child. Like, like in school, um, the school situation, the child probably felt that, you know, she was a teacher's pet kind of, which is quite normal. But it's just that the boundaries... Um, are, are, are changed, and these children are, are not aware that this is not appropriate, or what the teacher said or what the teacher did is inappropriate. Very often, although it makes them uncomfortable, the, the adult is actually going to go out of their way to make them seem, make it seem like it's the norm. How do you make it comfortable, make it a conducive environment then for those experiencing this or you know, unaware of something like this to actually go forward and talk about it. It's often considered a taboo conversation, something that must be hushed up. You know, it's actually really sad because our organization 
has a designated department that actually goes out into the communities and schools. And we are constantly um, having programs and awareness campaigns, teaching children about the signs and the symptoms, what to look out for. And we also teaching the educators as to what to look out for in a child if a child is uh, displaying um, unusual behavior. And there are so many um, organizations and outlets for children that are going through these. And children just need to be brave enough to actually pick up the phone and make that call. If they are not comfortable speaking to a friend or a family member, often they, they wouldn't have that kind of relationship with their mom or dad. But there's always an aunt, there's always a cousin that they can speak to. And, and from there, always there's help. There's definitely help out there. What can you talk to me then about the degeneration of society? And I think this is something that was raised by a few of uh, the people on WhatsApp. Um, that you have a situation, I mean, gender-based violence is one thing. We have a case, a crisis, the president himself is constantly talking about it and trying his, trying to address it um, as best he can, he says. Um, where you have adults going through this and now we have our children going through it as well so what is it saying about the degeneration of society because the risk here and we could touch on this very subtly the risk here is that the more people hear of cases like this the more it's going to start happening because it almost sends the message to the predator that this is the norm now and i should be doing this I don't agree with that. I believe a predator is a predator. Uh, whether these cases are getting a lot of highlights or not, that person is going to do what he wants to do. Um, if anything, I believe that this should serve as a deterrent. Um, recently, um, South African police services have been very, very efficient, and we've had um, uh, quick trials, a lot of convictions when it comes to child rapists and uh, um, presence of, the, of these uh, types. Um, I'm actually hoping that all of the media hype around it is actually going to serve as a deterrent. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I really hope it does that because this needs to come under spotlight. But I think as we're about to wrap up our program now, we're going to go to some um, more messages as well. I think we're always talking about corruption here. And I think at this point, sorry to disappoint you, but we are focusing now on this issue. Uh, if I have some time just now, I'll, re- I'll go through some of your messages on corruption. We'll end off with it. But let's end with you then, Adeshni. And to somebody who is listening to you right now, a child who's going through this, a child who's f- who finds itself in this sort of thing and not doesn't know who to turn to and how to address it, what advice would you give to that child? Hi, Adeshni. Yeah, what advice would you give to a child listening right now going through something like this? Hello? Hi, Adeshni, can you hear me? Okay, I think we have lost Adeshni. We're just going to get her back to wrap up. And while we do that, um, I'm going to go and go to those messages that I said that I would um, provide you so that you could um, have a sense of um, 
Yeah, just to get a sense of your thoughts with regard to corruption. So let's start. Ramba Mudli says, so much evidence in the Zondo Commission, and I hope some people get sent to prison and all the monies are recovered. Um, Tonti from Richards Bay says, the community is not shouting out loud. The NC Women's League have gone into slumber. Michelle and McKellen from Phoenix says, uh, talking about Nathaniel Judy, says, a young life gone too quick. Mala says uh, it's very painful for the family of the special needs child to bid farewell to him. Swami Reddy <laughs> wished us a happy weekend. And um, yeah, so those are the messages. We also had a message from Mr. Ian Governor who sent us a voice note. I think he's also talking about corruption. Hello, Mr. Governor. Good afternoon, Taresh and the team. Today, a million South Africans from all walks of life from the nine provinces will take part in the move one million march against corruption fraud theft and corruption are the bane of our society high-ranking officials without morals have been exposed at the zondo commission persons involved earn massive salaries and perks these greedy officials have no compassion for the poor who voted them to power they are supposed to be our role models who we as ordinary citizens can emulate. They should hang their heads in shame for lying and pretending to be innocent. All those involved must face the full might of the law. All ill-gotten gains must be forfeited to the state with lengthy prison sentences without parole to the criminals. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Governor, for those messages. So, yeah, about to wrap up the program, trying to get hold of Adeshni. Um, and just looking through some of your messages here. Um, yeah, so this is interesting to see that we, uh, yeah, no more messages on our chat line, and we'll have to leave it there. Then, additionally, we managed to, um, we'll get her back at a point and conclude that conversation with her to find out exactly what her thoughts are on how, um, you know, those listening right now going through a challenge like this could come forward. But let's leave the program there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Uh, the broadcast came away courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. I'll talk to you again tomorrow between 12 and 1 o'clock. We'll have another discussion uh, focusing on two things tomorrow, literature and um a very important health concern that many women go through. So we are going to be putting a bit of a spotlight on PCOS. So yes, you can talk to us about that. So from me, Tadeh have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.